I'm Anthony Day, and this is the Sustainable Futures Report for Friday the 25th of October. This week, Zoe Cohen, who spoke to us recently about being arrested at the Extinction Rebellion protest in April, came to trial. We'll hear from her later. We also hear from Laura Cox, who was in London for the latest Extinction Rebellion, and she too was arrested. First, let's look at what happened over those two weeks of rebellion. The objective of XR is to get the government's attention through acts of non-violent civil disobedience. If it leads to the police being overstretched, it makes the government take notice. The government did respond in a small way after the April protests. In less than a year, Extinction Rebellion has succeeded where decades of letters to MPs, petitions, street stalls and demonstrations have failed. But the government has really only paid lip service to their demands. It declared a climate emergency and promised the Citizens' Assembly, but it didn't set any deadlines. We now have a completely different government, so the persuasion has to start all over again. Extinction Rebellion has three demands. The government must tell the truth about the climate crisis. The government must publish a plan of action. The government must set up a citizens' assembly. We've had two weeks of civil disobedience with varying degrees of success. It started back on Monday the 7th of October when rebels blocked some 11 routes leading to Westminster. I was there, and as I told you, I thought that the whole thing was overstretched and wouldn't last. In fact, it did, right through until the 19th of October, as planned. Although the police took an increasingly hard line, and there were many more arrests than during the April protest. Operations evolved as the week progressed. The police confiscated tents and equipment and gradually lifted the barricades, arresting people and driving the rest back to Trafalgar Square. There was criticism of the media particularly the BBC, for limited and unbalanced reporting. For example, the organisers believe that 30,000 people marched down Oxford Street. The BBC reported 3,000. Extinction Rebellion has a remarkable organising structure, but it is basically a massive alliance of affinity groups with common demands and the universal commitment to non-violence. One group had the idea to delay a commuter train at Canning Town in East London. Violence flared when a protester was dragged off the roof of the train and set upon by commuters. The BBC was criticised for interviewing commuters and interviewing police, but not talking to protesters. This action led to much soul-searching in Extinction Rebellion and criticism of the action. Why block public transport when public transport is a green alternative? Why block commuters from an area of London where people may be on low wages and zero-hours contracts and are likely to lose disproportionately from being late for work? The Canning Town incident was one of the few that got full media coverage. Laura Cox travelled from York to be part of the London Rebellion. She told me why. Laura, welcome and thanks for talking to the Sustainable Futures Report. 
So I believe you're a journalist and you decided that your place was at the rebellion in London at the beginning of October. Did you go down for the whole week, the whole two weeks? No, I was only there at the very start of the uh, the international rebellion, sadly, due to annual leave reasons. But I took as much time as I could to go. Right. And had you been on any sort of protest like that before? I've done smaller actions in York in the past, but they were by no means as uh, intense as what I experienced in London. But was was this the same theme, Extinction Rebellion, or was it yes. a different cause? Yes, the same, the same theme. I've been involved um, for about six months now. The school strikes and things like that? Yes, yes. In York, they're quite big. So you decided to go to London. What did you expect the protest to achieve? I expected the protest to achieve publicity ultimately that is the number one aim right now because in order to take action you need to have recognition and at the moment a lot of us in XR including myself we see that there's a problem with recognition and paying lip service instead of actually internalizing how bad things really are. So did you think that it would build on the reaction that was created at Easter? I hoped it would. I hoped it would. And how, how long were you actually down there for? So I arrived on the Sunday night. So I was there for the setup, and I was there on the Monday. And the Monday was the day of my arrest in the afternoon. And the then day, I was really... Your arrest. You were arrested on, on the Monday. On the Monday, yes, on the first day um, at 3.40. Oh, were <laughs> you? Oh, were you? Because I was there around, well, later than that. Yeah, I believe we, we met, actually, briefly. We did. But uh, So t tell us how this happened. You, you, when I met you, yes, you were sitting in the middle of Millbank in a yeah. row of people, uh, and everything was, was very sort of relaxed, and there weren't that many police around, although t later on in the afternoon their numbers did increase a lot. So how did it affect you? Well, as you saw from the morning, it was all quite uh, quiet and there was no great antagonism going on. But the, the problem was the people that I was in the road with, um, excluding a handful of others, weren't as... So we use the word spiky in Extinction Rebellion. Uh, the spikier you are, the more willing you are to agitate, basically. And there was, there was not uh, the same level of spikiness across there. So we would... Some cars would get through the roadblock and others wouldn't. So, for example, we let an ambulance through, which we all agreed to do. Let's let the ambulance through for obvious reasons. But then we were letting police cars through because they had the blue emergency lights on, which any police car can put the blue emergency lights on. You know, so you have to question whether or not that's genuine. And a few of us were getting quite not not annoyed, but there just wasn't a cohesion of tactics there at that roadblock. And although we did manage to hold the road for a while, it was quite frustrating because it wasn't really functioning that well. So that I suppose that would have been an arrestable situation had everybody banded together and been at the same level of quote-unquote spikiness. Um, but we were there for a few hours, and then eventually the police started to, as you say, um, coalesce, and there were more and more and more and more and more, and they were actually pushing us down either side and kind of cornering us in on Millbank, um, and that's when we started to put up our tents, then we were told to take down our tents. Then we were told, to, well, we weren't told to put them back up again, but we realised, OK, we've got some time now, we can put them back up again. And while other groups and other sites were distracting the police, that was our chance to put up some infrastructure. But, of course, 
we couldn't get any infrastructure up because things were already being confiscated and taken away and there were already lots of police people there. So, yeah, it was quite a difficult situation. We couldn't set up food, a food um, tent or a kitchen or a welcome tent. So we just had the actual tents that you would sleep in. And, and I was actually arrested later on in the afternoon by not moving from a tent. So you were in a tent and you didn't move? I was in a tent and I didn't move. Right, because earlier on I saw the police talking to people and saying to them, you know, if you go away, we'll leave you alone. Um, but if you don't move, then we're going to arrest you. So were you given the opportunity to come out of the tent and walk away? or were you... I was multiple times given the opportunity. Oh, yeah. yeah. And so you were arrested and put in a van? I was, yeah, I was dragged into a van and I was taken to Croydon Custody Centre where I spent the the evening and part of the morning. So what time did they release you? They released me at about 11am and I got there at about oh, half past seven, I think. The previous evening? Yes. And uh, have you been charged? I have been released under investigation, so I haven't been charged, but there is every likelihood that I will be charged. It just depends on how this goes. Obviously, there's been a lot more arrests than last time. So there is obviously a small chance that we may not all get charged, but I feel like if you're going to put yourself in an arrestable position, you need to have accepted that that is the reality and that it it's probably going to happen. Did you expect that you would be arrested when you actually set off for London? Yes. I'd had training. I'd taken um, non-violent direct action NVDA training so that I was prepared for that to, to happen. And I feel like as someone who... I don't have any dependents. I don't have a DBS check that I need to keep clean. No one relies on me. I'm very independent. I am sort of textbook arrestable as far as people go. I thought it was my responsibility to put myself forward for that and to be at least willing for that to happen. And so you did and so you were. What do you think that this autumn rebellion has achieved? I hope that it's achieved more publicity. And I, I, what I really hope and what I, what I know that it has um, led to is the start of more conversations around this topic. I can speak to people now and they know Extinction Rebellion. They know what Extinction Rebellion stands for. And that's the whole point, because as I said before, you need to acknowledge before you can act. And it's the starting these conversations that's the most important thing. And when you've got thousands of people on the street outside Westminster that will not go away, that's how you start the conversation. As annoying and, you know, as difficult as that may be, it's we have to start talking about this. We can't ignore it anymore. Where next for me? Well, we have a few actions planned in York. Um, obviously, nowhere near the scale of what went on in London. Obviously, in, in Extinction Rebellion, we have to be very careful that we don't, we use the term burnout because you put so much energy, you put yourself wholeheartedly into these things and it can be, very taxing on individuals and we try to be very mindful of people's well-being and their, their you know their mental health and their physical health so now we're having a bit of a breather and we're going to gather ourselves and hopefully come back with something else I mean what I would like to see is more community engagement I think it's you know obviously you, you talked earlier about the Canning Town fiasco and I do believe it was a little bit of a fiasco when you have affinity groups acting completely their own accord um, and turning public opinion 
in the wrong direction because really we should all be working together and that's what I feel we need to do in Extinction Rebellion is to build a movement rather than constantly be pushing and pushing and pushing. We need to be having conversations on a one-to-one level with people, which is what I'm an advocate for. Well, thank you very much. Thank you for sharing your experiences with us and uh, good luck. That was journalist Laura Cox. Our next speaker is Zoe Cohen. I talked to her back in September after she'd pleaded not guilty to charges arising from the April rebellion. She came to trial yesterday, and I'm most grateful that she was willing to talk to us so soon afterwards. The Prime Minister has described exile rebels as uncooperative crusties living in hemp-smelling tents. Zoe Cohen was formerly a board member of several organisations in the NHS. She subsequently worked at board level in a number of multinational organisations. She's no crusty. She's a responsible member of society with more courage than I have. First of all, thank you for uh, talking again to the Sustainable Futures Report on a day which is probably quite stressful. Uh, oh, that's all right. Well, less stressful than yesterday. No, don't, don't, don't worry. Less stressful than yesterday and the day before. Look, uh, the anticipation is worse than the actual thing, I think, just the sheer volume of build-up, anyway, for me personally. But, yeah, the day was crazy. Um, but I'm, I'm just tired. I'm, 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 I'm tired and I'm still processing it. So it's probably a really good time to talk, Anthony, because you'll get me fresh out of that. <laughs> well, thank you. Uh, so tell me what happened yesterday. So, yes, what would you like to know about yesterday? Well, when we spoke last time, you had been committed for trial uh, on yeah. the basis of being arrested for the Extinction Rebellion <laughs> protest back in April. Yeah. And... So yesterday you had your day in court, and what exactly were you charged with, and what was the outcome of what happened on the day? Okay, so yeah, um, it's quite a learning process. All this, Anthony, I have to say, for you know, for someone who hasn't been through the court process um, before, and and um, that's for many people in exile who've been arrested. Moment, I think the vast majority have never done it before. So. Um, I think when we last spoke, I uh, was going to or had been to my plea hearing at the beginning of August uh, where you have to go and you have to buy the plea guilty or not guilty. And if you plead guilty, you're kind of done and dusted there and then and you pay your fine or your costs or whatever. And and then you go on your way and carry on the rest of your life with your criminal record. Um, But if you plead not guilty, you you then have to set a date for trial. So you come back to the court for obviously a much, much longer process. So... So that's what yesterday was for me. It was for me to, because uh, I pleaded not guilty in August. Um, I uh, was coming back for my for my trial, um, and I was. I think the time was officially a ten o'clock start. Um, I chose to be represented, um, so I had legal representation. And whilst my legal representative was really good, and she did some really good stuff. To be honest, I don't think it would have made a blind bit of difference. Um, they were determined to find me guilty regardless. I could have danced around naked and it would have made no difference. Well, obviously it would have been contempt of court or something probably, but you know, <laughs> apart from causing a bit of hilarity, it would have made no difference. I could have brought a world-leading climate scientist in with me, Anthony, and it would have made not a jot of difference. Now, were these magistrates that you were in front of? Yes. So... Um, uh, it was two magistrates. It seems to be semi-random who you end up in front of. 
um, I had a pair of magistrates. I don't know whether that's usual or unusual. Um, yeah, so in, to answer your question, you said, what was I What was I in for? So I, I was on trial for the alleged offence of, um, I'll probably get the language legally wrong here, but basically disobeying um, a Section 14 order. Um, so a Section 14 order, um, I said, some members of the public or listeners might have heard of those now because they've become a bit infamous with what the police have done in London uh, earlier this month because they um, have done some quite outrageous stuff, but maybe yeah. we'll come up to that. But um, uh, so when I was in Parliament Square in April, um, a senior officer somewhere up the chain of the police command decided that the disruption in the Parliament Square area was, or, or the protests in the Parliament Square area were causing pretend, uh, causing a um, significant disruption for the life of the community. Um, and therefore declared that there was a section 14, which means that we had to, as protesters, we were all expected to move out of the area, clear the area totally, and proceed to protest um, where the system wanted us to, which was in Marble Arch, which had been declared a, a, a sort of safe or area that we could protest in and not be arrested and whatever. But of course, doing what the system wants us to do has got us to the catastrophe that we're in. Yeah. So yeah. that's obviously not a thing that makes any sense whatsoever. Um, just like school strikes in the school holidays make no sense whatsoever. So, um, so this, uh, yes, it was a disobeying a section 14 order um, I was in court for, which is a, what's called a summary offence. In other words, it's a minor offence that goes to a magistrate's court. So it's not got an, impris- you can't be imprisoned for it. The maximum offence is, is a fine plus court costs um, and, um, you know, that the, the uh, criminal record itself um, for however long it lasts for on your record before it's spent. Um, so, yes, that's what I was in for. And the experience was, well, I've, I've started doing a little bit of writing about it, Anthony, partly to help me process it and get it out of my head and body um, and also to share, the, share it with other people um, in different ways. But... Um, uh, for something which, on the face of it, from the legal system, is a tiny, minor, minor offence, um, I was in court uh, all day and didn't get to leave until quarter to seven yesterday evening. It's quite quite incredible. So the the, the supposed start time was ten o'clock, um, and um, I was able to leave the building at quarter to seven at night. But what time uh, did it actually start? Did you start at ten o'clock? So we, I was in, I was asked into the courtroom at ten twenty, um, but I didn't really, having never done a, been in, on trial before. I didn't realise that all the proceedings that they were doing when I was invited into, well, didn't count as the trial. They didn't start the trial until eleven forty. Um, but you know, as <laughs> the the coach in me is in, is coming out a lot at the moment, and it's interesting in my reflections, Anthony, because the. The coach in me knows, and the supervisor, coach supervisor in me knows that um, uh, the coaching starts as soon as you have any contact with the system. You know, that's that. You know, as soon as you have any contact with the client mm-hmm. by email, letter, um, initial phone call, any, that's that is you've started. The process has started. So you know, you to actually have a thing that says the trial hasn't started. Well, of course it's started. You're in the room. They've started to make judgments. They've started to pull that. You know, the system has started to operate. But anyway, so I went in at ten twenty, and they officially started around eleven forty, and um, they finished making their giving their judgment and their guilty verdicts on me at um, six forty five, quarter to seven. 
Oh, all right. All right. <laughs> okay. Yes. But were you, were you in the court all that time? Yes, apart from an adjournment. They, they decided they had to adjourn for lunch and they allowed themselves an hour for lunch, which I thought was rather generous. I don't often allow myself an hour for lunch. Right. Um, so, yes. But was yours the only case they were deliberating or were there lots of you, actually, or lots of defendants? Um, on on the day yesterday, um, because trials obviously take longer than um, plea hearings, when there's a plea, when, when they have the plea hearings on the Fridays in, in City Magistrates Court, they deal with... 30, 40, 50 of us in a day, and they churn through them because plea hearings are sh short on the whole, pretty short. Um, but trial, my trial, uh, I think mostly they're booked in these short, inverted commas, short, simple um, execution rebellion trials for section 14 are, mine was, was down to take two and a half hours, <laughs> which I'm making me laugh because it took it took more than the full day. I mean, the, the, the court staff were tearing their hair out by the end of the day. But um, in a sense, the process thing is one thing, isn't it, Anthony? Which is it's ridiculous in its own right. I mean, you know, there was nothing that I did personally that made it take that long. The process took that long. The people took that long. The systems took that long. The um, yeah, um, and I, I, you know, I'm not I'm not criticising individuals because in, we're all part of this system. Um, but it became absolutely apparent to me that you know the system is. Totally, you know, not only totally enabled to respond in a way that can react to the reality that we find ourselves in, in terms of you know biosphere collapse. You know, the, the system. I know I was only experiencing a, a day in the life of a magistrate's court in the UK, but you know, I guess it's a snapshot of our system, isn't it, of that part, and the, and the system clearly cannot respond to anything outside ancient business as usual um, okay well look uh, 1200 people were arrested in april 1700 were arrested in october if it takes a day <coughs> to process one case how on earth is this actually going to work yes um good point i believe the total for october is now over 1800 at my last saw so i think i think it's gone up further um, uh, I'm, i may be wrong on that but i read that only early this morning i think um yes i mean it, it, so there's a whole load of emotions going on within my head and my heart, Anthony. Okay. But, um, Just before that, what what was the final? Well, we know what the verdict was. What was the sentence? Uh, so yes, guilty. Um, so um, they gave me a conditional discharge for nine months, um, and um, which uh, I had to look up because I didn't really understand. Didn't really understand what it was, even though the solicitor explained it to me. I still didn't quite get what it, what it really meant. But it, um, it's effectively they don't. So I'm not fined. I wasn't actually fined any money, but I had. I've had to pay. I will have to pay shortly. Seven hundred and ninety-five pounds. So the seven hundred and seventy-five pounds is for court costs um, to the Crown Prosecution Service, um, and twenty pounds is a, is a statutory um, victim charge surcharge that the government put on any on any magistrate's case. So it's seven hundred and seventy-five plus twenty quid, so seven nine five. So that and that's so that's I wasn't fined. I could have been fined up to a thousand pounds in theory. Mm. Um, so this conditional discharge means that if I don't get, if I'm not rearrested for committing something in the next nine months, then that then I think it, it, then I will not be fined, and that'll be fine. But if I if if something happens and like they can reopen this case which I presume just means I mean they've already found me guilty so I presume reopening the case means they give me a penal a financial penalty for this case 
in addition to whatever else I might do. But, um, right. yeah. Well, let's go it, back to October, because you, uh, notwithstanding all this hanging over you, you took part in the October Rebellion, and I believe you were down there for the whole two weeks. Is that correct? Um, not quite. I, you know, I did absolutely take part in the October Rebellion, and I was there for the first week, um, right from the start on the Sunday to the end of the first week. But, um, yeah, unfortunately, I had some long-standing client work commitments in the second week, um, which had been in for months and involved teams and you know large groups of people that I that I couldn't cancel. So um, that plus obviously family and caring responsibilities, I uh, did the the first week. Right, and were you arrested again? I was. You were oh, right. Now presumably that doesn't count against your conditional discharge because that came after the the arrest. Um, well, the, 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 I was released pending investigation, I wasn't charged, so oh, as of my trial yesterday I was still of good character because I hadn't been charged or found guilty or anything, so right. um, uh, right. yeah. But uh, what's your intention when you, if you are charged, uh, you will go to a plea hearing, will you once again plead not guilty? Um, probably, I'm not, I, probably. I mean, I, I must admit, I feel a bit different about the process now because, you know, I, I went through with the process fully and to the bitter end, um, uh, in part to have my day in court, as it were, um, to um, gum up the system and, you know, <laughs> to my own to my own uh, detriment, it did gum up the system for the entire day. So, um, you know, a tiny micro micro impact there <laughs> gumming up the magistrate's court for an entire day. Mm. Um, much to the frustration of the system, mm. um, although that wasn't my intent to necessarily do that, but, um, and also to, you know, I wasn't trying to argue that I didn't um, disobey the Section 14 because, you know, it, it was blatant, the, clear that I did from the body-worn camera footage from the police, yes. my arresting officer, yes. etc. But, um, you know, we were using arguments around the fact that the Section 14 wasn't um, rightly, the decision to put it in place by the senior officer was was um, incorrect and not substantiated, and that um, uh, the re the decision to put section fourteen was also disproportionate and um, in relation to the my right legal right to protest and under the Human Rights Act and all the rest of it. And then if if the, if if those weren't agreed and we were preempting that the court wouldn't agree with either of those because they haven't agreed with any of them so far for any. Um, exile defendants um, that we'd use the argument of necessity that everyone also uses the argument of necessity if they're going to plead not guilty but I just have this you know as I was saying about the, the system I this visceral embodied experience of the system now having been through the, you know, the entire court day for, for 10 hours that there was no way the system was going to make any other decision you know the, the uh, Interestingly, the two magistrates went to deliberate at the end of the day and they said they were going to take 20, 30 minutes and they took an hour and three quarters to deliberate the decision. And when they came out with the decision and read out the verdict, it was as if they'd never deliberated because it was exactly what they give to everyone else, pretty much within, you know, give or take. It was exactly the same thing. Um, and they said, I, I've made a few notes somewhere, but they said, they said, well, you know, you, I gave a compelling and passionate, you know, defence and da, da, da. Um, for my reasons for doing it, but at the end of the day, same outcome. I don't think the, sy the system is not capable of it. You know, the, 
and forgive forgive me for saying what I'm about to say because some of you may disagree with me and feel free to and some of your listeners may disagree with me but the you know the, the patriarchal status quo which is the system is unable to do anything else but what it does and you know it, it was embodying embodied in the building and the and the behaviors and the patterns in yesterday and it was unable to do anything but what it did so i i, I think i will I do feel differently about pleading not guilty next time. I mean, morally, I don't feel I'm guilty at all. And I'm very lucky to have um, supportive and enlightened um, husband and daughter. And they both don't see me as a criminal. So that's <laughs> great. Um, and I don't think my, my uh, well, people that know me well don't either. But um, I see almost little point in trying to plead not guilty other than the sort of personal satisfaction of making the moral point. But I, I think it... I think it really just allows the system to take more money out of us, to be honest, and, and um, I think that's a bit pointless um, in a way. So I think, I, I, but I, I, that's how I feel right now in this moment. How I'll feel in another moment might be different again. And, and as I'm sure you know, Anthony, everyone in Extinction Rebellion, make, we all make our own decisions as adults. We all take responsibility for our actions. So I totally take responsibility for my action, and um, I haven't yet decided how I may or may not lead. Uh, and that depends on whether I actually get followed up. You know, I don't know whether my October arrest will get followed up because we don't know how the system's going to react to yeah. the October arrest. So yeah. we'll wait and see. Right. Well, thank you for all that. Where do you and where does XR go from here? Do you think that what's been uh, what's taken place so far in uh, in April and in October has achieved anything? Do you think we are making progress? Yes, and. I think we made massive progress after April in some ways and in other ways not. You know, has anything changed in the national or global emissions? No, if anything, they'll have continued to increase. Um, ha having said that, of course, awareness has to, and change, policy changes have to come before action in a lot of cases. So one of the arguments I used in my uh, defence case about necessity and right to, to protest was that the fact that it's very clear that since we did what we did in April, um, including my own arrest along with you know, 1,200 other people, we um, it has led to a significant, significant number of policy and um, awareness changes. So for, you know, just listing those off, obviously we had the the motion of climate and environmental emergency passed on the 1st of May, put forward by the opposition, but passed in Parliament. Obviously not legally binding government policy, but nonetheless, that's never happened before. Um, and then following on from that, we had a sort of domino effect of Theresa May saying that we uh, that, that she would make a commitment to net zero by 2050 rather than an 80% reduction by 2050. Now, obviously that's far too late and a nonsense, but it's a move that never would have happened if we hadn't done what we did. And then we had the other opposition, the opposition parties, you know, um, matching and raising on that each time. So the Lib Dems have said 2045 is their policy with a, a bunch of other changes to go with it. So they've upped the government by five years. And then the Labour Party at the party conference um, debated a motion for net zero 2030, which is, you know, much more radical. And it's now become party policy. So that is the Majesty's opposition policy. Now, you know, I'm sure you're aware you've been talking and thinking and working on these agendas for ages, Anthony, I know, that you know, the, the, the language of climate environmental emergency wasn't even in the political lexicon 
a year ago, didn't exist, didn't come out of politicians' mouths, certainly not publicly, that I'm aware of. Uh, or if it did, it was whispered somewhere and never got into the media. But, you know, it, it's a it, it's language that is, it is reasonably commonly spoken of. And we now have all three parties with substantially different policies than they had. Um, are they doing are they doing anything? Well, are the government doing anything? Of course, they're going in the opposite direction. We've got HS2, we've got Heathrow expansion, we've got fracking support, we've got a new coal mine being planned, da 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 et cetera, et cetera. But on the face of it, the policy says something different. Um, we've also got um, uh, significant changes, in, and this has been polled and polled by lots of different pollsters, in public awareness and public concern about climate change in the, in the UK. And we also have um, significant public support, which again has been polled for um, net zero, the government's net zero target, or or more ambitious targets, which are more aligned to the XR demand. So there's, you know, there are lots of different things that point to the fact that there's, a, there's changes in public perceptions and um, uh, certainly gov uh, government and opposition policies. And those things just wouldn't have happened if we didn't do what we did in April. So to come back to your question, yes, we've certainly had an impact. Um, clearly, we've had n you know, nothing like anything like the impact that needs to have yet, of course. Um, I suppose in terms of October, what would I say? I, I can't speak for the movement. You know, we're a diverse, self-organising movement of hundreds of thousands of people. And of course, we're not just in the UK, we're global, international. And there's been, you know, um, rebellions of different shapes and sizes in October across different parts of the world. Um, but speaking for myself, I think I think my sense is there's a whole mix of emotions. I have a mix of emotions. Many of us who were in London for one or two or in you know, the whole time to differing degrees, we're still processing. We're you know we're we're in line with our regenerative culture approach. We're having debriefs, you know, formally or informally or both with you know with groups of us to debrief our feelings and our thoughts and process about you know what was that. <laughs> How have we come? How have we processing what happened? But also starting to think about what next. Um, and uh, I mean that the stated transparent strategy um, nationally uh, ahead of the October um, rebellion was that the, the two the two weeks was the period. But actually, that wasn't over. It was going to be a series of of um, actions going on after the rebellion and those that you know there are you'll, you'll probably have seen um and as people can see on the website because pretty much everything's transparent um there are further actions planned you know from this weekend onwards and um, because we can't take the pressure off so i, I know there's also been a lot of um who are in the media and and um genuine concern and conversation about the tube actions yes. uh yes. The, the, the couple of different actions that take took place by a a handful of people and a couple of different tube lines in London. I've got, like a lot of people in XR, I've, probably, I've got mixed feelings about that. Um, there were a lot of us who were not particularly in support of doing that action or something like that. But um, we're a, you know, a self-organising system. We work in autonomous small groups. If people sign up to the principles of Extinction Rebellion, they can act in the name of Extinction Rebellion, and that's what people do. Um, uh, I think it, you know, I think it showed lots of things. What happened in the video footage that's obviously went viral and lots of people saw. Um, it it showed the 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 violence and aggression that's in our communities. I don't mean I'm not blaming any individuals for that, but it's you know it's prevalent. 
Um, I think it, 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 it's something that, although understandable, that one, the individual who was pulled off the train appeared to kick someone in doing that. Now, who knows whether that was deliberate or who knows that was just that reaction of self-defence in the moment when a mob of people are, are, are sort of trying to go for you. It, it's really hard to know. Um, but either way, you know, it was not, it wasn't, it wasn't pleasant to watch. And I understand that the guy who was filming it from XR, who was also attacked. Um, so yeah, a bunch of mixed emotions, but and and frustrate. You know, I, I didn't necessarily personally agree with the action or that particular action. I think it might have been able to be targeted in a different way that had a different outcome. Um, but there are lots of debates and disagreements about you know tubes and tubes and public transport and so on, but. One of the saddest bits in, for me is, and the frustration is that um, that kind of enabled many parts of the media and the Twitter sphere and so on to talk about Extinction Rebellion rather than talk about the issues. So you know, it, it, the conversation repeatedly we see the conversation when when the system wants to distract away from the system changes that are needed. It, they talk about uh, they talk about the people. So you know, Boris calls us crusties. So we're smelly people that smell of hemp and don't have a job, which is utter bleeding nonsense. Yes. Uh, it, because, but then we get criticised of being too white and too middle class. Yes. So you, we really cannot win. But that's not actually about us, is it? That's about the system just trying to project crap onto us and trying to you know do uh, and and distract. Um, away from the real issues um so it's very frustrating that that something happened that enabled the system to do a full-blown distraction away from the issues where so much i think of what we have done and what we have been doing um has been growing not just public awareness but public support so when i was doing quite a lot of outreach during the october week you know when i wasn't um sitting on a road or in a cell or being glued to something or whatever um, talking to members of the community, whether you know, it's tourists, business people, families, visitors, whatever. Um, you know, I, I think I feel a, a lot of support there from a lot of people. Not everyone, of course, but um, I think there is a lot of support and there's increased awareness, increased understanding. And, um, you know, at, at the height of some mass arrests going on in uh, the edge of um, on Victoria Street on one, one of the days I was there, and I was doing some outreach because at that point I wasn't I wasn't seeking to be arrested again at that exact moment. I was doing some out outreach and, and um, there were people, you know, it was the height of many, many police around and carrying people away um, by their arms and legs. And um, I remember talk talking to a family and there was a, a mum and a dad and, and a couple of children there. And, the, and I was explaining, um, uh, my voice was a bit wobbly because it was so emotional what was happening but I was explaining about uh, what was happening and you know, these peaceful protesters being carried away and this is what we're protesting about and um, you know, the, 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 the mother of the children was, was standing there with tears in her eyes so there's a lot of a lot of emotion, there's a lot of support yes, out there yes, yes, and yes, um, yes. you know we, we need to tap into that and we need to harness that I think more than we have been able to so far I think I, think, I don't know what I'd be curious. I'm really interested in your views and listeners' views. Um, uh, yeah, I, th I think I think the movement, considering it's so young, and the odds are so high, and the the forces of the forces against us are so huge, I think the movement's been incredible. Um, and uh, as um, 
uh, you also get to meet incredible people doing uh, doing stuff in XR. And I, I've met um, a real life IPCC scientist, <laughs> more than one actually, but uh, a real life PhD, um, very learned um, climate scientist who's authored work for the IPCC. And uh, never first time I met one. And and he said to me, you know, just in this informal conversation, only a few weeks ago, you know, I've been I've been doing this for thirty years, and um, XR has achieved more change in one year than we've achieved in thirty years. So yeah. Yeah. to come back to your question, yes, we've done stuff, but by God, we've got a lot more to do. Well, thank you very much. Thank you very much for the things that you've shared today. That's uh, excellent, Zoe Cohen. Thank you. Thank you. There's a lot there to think about. Thank you for listening to what has been one of the longest Sustainable Future reports. Before I go, let me tell you about next week. I'll be talking about the growth in renewable power, including signs that France may prioritise renewables over nuclear, climate rules for corporations, forces behind climate denial, plumbing the depths of abandoned coal mines, and the latest news from climate scientists. And climate researcher Dr Matt Winning explains how he presents the climate crisis through stand-up comedy. I'm Anthony Day. That was the Sustainable Futures Report. Let me leave you with a final thought from Zoe Cohen after her court appearance. Far from putting me off and deterring me, it's made me more determined.